Thank you for choosing to come and be here this morning at our worship together. We're doing a series called Road Trip Songs about some of the psalms that were called, known as the Psalms of Ascent, which were the songs that they sang on their way to and from worship in Jerusalem. And so this morning, uh, we're going to continue, and I'm going to read um, Psalm 122. I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing in your gates, Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together. That's where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord according to the statute given to Israel. There stand the thrones of judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure, and may there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. For the sake of my family and friends, I say, peace be within you. And for the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will look and seek your prosperity. One of the um, afflictions of pastoral work is listening with a straight face sometimes to some of the excuses people give for not coming to church. Um, now, some people, you know, they don't want to come to church, and, and that's their reason, and that's fine. But it's the ones who come up with really interesting reasons, excuses, why not to come. You know, there's too many hypocrites there, or... Um, there, you know, that's my only day to sleep in or my only day for this or that, fill in the blank. And sometimes you hear some really interesting um, excuses. I, I, I was reminded of a story of a woman who got up one Sunday morning and when she was getting ready for church and she said to her husband, um, you, you better get out of bed and start getting ready uh, or we're going to be late. And he said, uh, I'm not going to church today. And she said, well, sure you are. Come on, get up and start getting ready or we're going to be late. He lay there a little longer, and she said, are you really not, not going to come? And he said, no, I'm, I'm not going to come. I told you I don't want to go today. And she said, well, could you give me one good reason why you're not going to go today? And he said, one, I'll give you three. One, I'm tired, and I don't want to get up just yet. I want to lay here and rest for a while. Two, there's a football game that starts at 11, and I don't want to miss the beginning of it. And three, you know those people down there at that church, they don't really like me and I don't like them either. So I'm just not going. And she said, well, that, that's ridiculous. You need to get up and come with me. And he said, can you give me one good reason why I should? She said, one, I'll give you three. One, you're a Christian. And Christians need to get together with other Christians and worship God. That's important and you know that. Two, God is more important than football. And three, you're the pastor. <laughs> um, that joke is based on a true story. That, uh, <laughs> yeah, the truth is there, there is an infinite number of reasons not to go to church. There's only one reason to go, and that's to come here and worship God and give God thanks for the grace that God has shown us to get us through the week. That's the only reason. And all over this country and all over the world, you know, there are millions of people who do get up and they get ready and they, they go to church for that one reason to just thank God 
for what, who God has been all week long. And some of them are actually like the psalmist. They're excited about it. You know, they're glad when somebody says, okay, it's time to, time to get up and go. Uh, a lot of Christian behavior uh, is enforced. You know, for example, uh, you know, the Bible says that you shouldn't steal, but it's also against the law to steal. So if you steal something, you can go to jail. Um, and then there's other things that maybe they're not laws, but they're just kind of, you know, morals or values in the culture that, you know, people, it's kind of shame, uh, honor kind of thing that, you know, people reward you uh, if you do the right thing and, you know, kind of look down on you if you do the wrong thing. And so there's, there's sometimes some of that pressure. But, um, you know, for the most part, um, when it comes to worship, I mean, there's no, there's no pressure like that. I mean, nothing happens to you if you don't come to worship. There's, I mean, nothing. It's, it's a free choice. And if you're here this morning, it's because, or, or watch it online, it's because you chose to do so. You, you wanted to, to do this. This was your choice. Um, and I, I know there are times, you know, in our lives where maybe we've been coerced. Uh, sometimes, you know, when we were kids, maybe our parents made us go. We didn't want to go, but they made us go. And, or maybe, you know, you feel pressure from your spouse kind of coerced you to come. Uh, or maybe you lost a bet. There's all kinds of reasons, I guess. But um, most of us are here because we chose to be here. We chose that this was more important than all the other things that we could have been doing on, on a Sunday morning or whenever we watched the video. So Psalm 122 was written by a person who wanted to go to Jerusalem. When, when they got word that, okay, it's, it's time to go to Jerusalem, man, they were excited. They yelled, road trip, and got their scroll and stuck it under their arm and ran to the van. They couldn't wait to go. They were excited to get to go to the temple. And this was a song that they sang on the way to the temple to worship God. And I think it may have also been a song that they sang on the way back after they had been to the temple. Because one of the very first verses, the psalmist says, our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. So, so maybe they didn't just sing this on the way to Jerusalem. Maybe they sang this one on their way back because he's sort of recounting what happened to them while they were in Jerusalem to worship God. And then the psalmist talks about the architecture of the city. Uh, you know, he says it was built firm and solid. Of course, the temple was, was, an incredible, uh, was an incredible building. And especially for some of these folks who lived in these small villages, and they didn't see any buildings like that. And, and there was this, this temple. And it was, maybe it reminded him of, of the, how secure God is and how powerful God is. Or maybe... Um, you know, if you've ever been into like some great cathedral and you're just in awe of who God must be just because of the architecture. And so maybe, maybe it was something like that. Um, or maybe even he saw it as a metaphor for the pilgrims who came, like Paul in the New Testament um, said that Jesus is the foundation, but we are the stones that together make up the temple of God. Or, or um, you know, maybe he just... Um, uh, just, just saw it as, as a sign of protection and strength because of the way it was built. And he mentions all the tribes that were there. He said all these different tribes came to Jerusalem. People from, you know, we talked about that three times a year there were these pilgrimages to Jerusalem. 
And so when he got there, people from all over had come there also. And, and they were from everywhere, and they spoke different languages. And so while he's there in the temple, he sees all these different people speaking different languages, and yet they're all there for the same reason, to worship the God of Israel. And it, it gives him a glimpse and us a glimpse of what worship does for us. Because even here, we, we come here from different places, different backgrounds, different beliefs. Not everybody agrees on everything. But when we come here to bow down before God and worship God, God becomes more important than our differences. And we get a glimpse of what it looks like to actually live together in unity like God wants us to. And so all these people from all these different places traveled to Jerusalem to the temple for the same purpose, to give God thanks. Now, St. Augustine wrote, a Christian should be a hallelujah from head to foot. <laughs> and, and sometimes, you know, a part of worship is gratitude. And, you know, the songs we sing, we, we even call them praise songs. We come here to give God thanks. But, you know, sometimes I've heard people have told me, I don't feel like going to church because this has been a terrible week. And I'm kind of angry. I don't understand why God has let me go through what I'm going through. And I don't feel like going and thanking God. And so I, if I went, I'd just be a hypocrite because I don't feel like it. And what I would, would say is that, you know, feelings, uh, it, it's not about just feeling. And that sometimes feelings can be harsh masters because there's been times when I felt that way and I didn't want to go. And I didn't have too much that I thought I had to be grateful for. And then you get here and you come in with your smiling faces and you talk to other people and you look around and you see people and you know what they're going through in their life and yet they're here to give God thanks. And something happens and you start singing some of those songs and before it's over, you're actually genuinely grateful for what God has done. So sometimes, when you don't feel like coming to worship, it's the best place you can be because it helps remind us of all that God does in our lives. And then the psalmist speaks of these thrones of judgment that are there. And, and what he's talking about is, and most scholars believe that, that during these three high holy days when the pilgrims came to Jerusalem, you know, we talked about Passover and Pentecost and Tabernacles, during those, those holy days, they believed that they also brought their cases and their legal disputes that had not been settled to the courts in Jerusalem where they would be settled. So that going to worship and getting justice all happened in the same thing. <laughs> because worship and justice go together. And that's what the psalmist is reminding us of. Worship and justice go together. This is one of the reasons I love being a Methodist. Because John Wesley understood this. John Wesley continually taught that the worship of God and justice for our, our fellow brothers and sisters, is, it all goes together, and you can't have one without the other. That we can't come here and worship God and, and treat a, a brother or sister unjustly. And that we can't come here and worship God and even sit idly by while our fellow human beings are treated unjustly. 
Worship and justice go together. And, you know, I think Jesus, you know, had some things to say about that as well. And then the psalmist um, decides he's going to pray for all of Jerusalem, the whole city. And, and that's another thing that happens in worship is we come here sometimes just thinking about myself or my family, but then we get a bigger vision that, yeah, God loves us and God loves our family, but God also loves a whole lot of other people and is concerned about what goes on, not just in our home, but in our whole community and in our whole city and all around us. And so his vision gets bigger, and so he starts to pray for Jerusalem, pray for the entire city. Uh, he prays for peace. And, and, the, and the word that we translate peace is, of course, that Hebrew word shalom. And as I've said before, it means more than, you know, lack of conflict. It means to be whole in every way. And you don't hear it so much in English, because in English we say Jerusalem. But if you pronounce that name of the city in Hebrew... It is Yerushalom. Yerushalom. The word shalom is right there. You can hear it. It's, it's supposed to be a place of peace. And so he prays for peace and for wholeness. And it's a sad contrast years later when Jesus comes into the city on the back of a donkey. And Luke says that Jesus said, If you, even you, had only recognized on this day the things that make for peace. So worship is not self-contained. Worship expands our vision and makes us start to think about others and the people around us. I, I love the way Eugene Peterson put it. He wrote, worship does not satisfy our hunger for God. It whets our appetite. <laughs> it makes us want to leave here and see more of God out in the world we live in. It, it makes us want to look for God in other people and all the stuff that goes on around us. I read an illustration recently that I, that I, I think is a great understanding of worship. Um, you know, a guy goes out and starts to mow, and he's got like a couple of acres to mow. And, and so he's out mowing, and about halfway through, he stops, and he gets off the mower and, you know, gets the blades off and sharpens the blades and puts them back on and then finishes mowing. And somebody watching that could look at that and say, well, you know, that, that, taking those blades off and sharpening, that was a waste of time. He should just kept mowing. He had been finished. But the guy who stopped knew that if the blades were sharp, he would mow it quicker, he would do a better job, and would be more prepared for next time. I think sometimes people look at us and go, worship is a waste of time. Why do you do that? But those of us who enjoy worship know the importance of it, that it's like sharpening the blades. It sharpens us and helps us become who God created us to be, and it helps us to be able to do the things that we know God would have us do during the week. Now, I'll be totally honest with you. I don't understand how it works. But you get up and you decide I'm going to go to church today, and you get in the car, you get, you get dressed, you get in the car, and you come here, and you walk in the door, and you see people, and you say hello, and you sit down, or you turn on the TV or the computer, and, and you have a seat, and then we sing these songs that these guys have prayed about and rehearsed and come to lead us, and so we sing them together, and we look around, and there's people just like us, and then 
we pray prayer. We, we join in the prayer together. We, li- we listen to what's being prayed. And then the preacher gets up and, you know, reads the scripture. And, you know, the truth is that whoever's speaking is, you know, had as much faith through the week as most folks and also had just as many doubts. And yet you stand here and you open up the Bible and somehow try to express the truth and, and the wonder and the beauty of what's there. And all you've got to do it with is a bucket of words. So you pour them out there and do the best you can. And while we're singing, somebody raises their hand and sometimes you look over and the tears rolling down somebody's cheek. Somebody coughs. Sometimes a candle goes out. And in the midst of all that, somehow we get a glimpse of God. We get a glimpse of God's presence with us. And it makes us want more. It makes us want to go out this week and look for God everywhere we go and in everything we do. It makes us want to look in the faces of other people and see if we can't see Jesus. There's something about being in a room with a lot of different people and knowing that anyone who walks in those doors is welcome that reminds us of what God is like. And like I said, I can't explain it. But just having been here, we get a glimpse of God that makes us want more. So that I hope that next week you wake up and you think, yeah, I'd like to go to the house of God today. And I hope that today and every other time when you leave, that you'll be thinking, I am so glad when they said it was time to go to God's house. Amen.